morning, everybody. Are you still alive? It's good to be back in England where the sun has come out. How's KT doing? Good. Well, I flew in a few days ago. I was up in a little town called Telford. You ever remember Telford? God does go there once in a while. We had a good time, but it's good to be back with you this morning. And uh, we're very glad to be with you all day long. And then I'm coming back, I think, in about a week or so for a whole week in the Bible school. So I'll get to see how the students are doing. And I think Monday through Wednesday is open so all of you can come and see me for three or four hours a day. How's that? Now, this is a 9 o'clock crowd, right? That means you're more quiet than the 11 o'clock crowd, right? Oh, Lord help us. Okay. Well, good morning. Father, we thank you for a good time this morning. There's nobody as important as you in our life. We acknowledge you today, and we acknowledge you in all of our thinking, all of our desiring, and all of our maneuverings in our natural life. We honor and acknowledge that Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit is our present guide and help in every circumstance. And we lean not to our own understanding and thoughts and wishes and ways, but we say, lead and guide us in the more perfect path and the right attitudes and reactions to situations. And we tell the devil, you're still under our feet. You have no control or dominion over our life, our thought, or our future. We are God's property. We are God's children. Hands off and out. In the name of Jesus, we declare it and say it for it to be thus and so. In Jesus' name, and everybody that agreed said, amen. All right. Open your Bibles if you have them. Good morning, everybody. Romans, the 11th chapter. Hope you'll be here all day long and tonight when I speak again. I have a new book called The School of the Spirit. Hope you'll go by and get it, the book table outside. How to Walk in the Spirit Even if You Live in London. How you like that for a title? But it's a book. Most people are in the Spirit when everything's going good. It's when things are going bad. You have to stay in there for sure and not become carnal and want to punch somebody. That went over real good. Okay. But uh, you'll do that. I've been preaching a lot lately. The Lord's had me on a, a little series, and uh, an important ones, I believe, about a call, what a calling is. We live in a moment in our world where we all have a five-year plan, and nobody asks God what his five-year plan was. And so our parents have our five-year plan. We as young couples have our year plan, five-year plan. And then we realize sometimes our five-year plan is not working or we're not happy or satisfied. And it may be because uh, God had a different thing for you. And so I want to embark upon a certain uh, subject here today on the call of God. Uh, there are more called people in Britain today than there ever has been in her history. But the problem today is not as many are responding to it because of the other voices, the uh, negativities that maybe they've been around, or things that they've experienced without the right uh, qualification or definition of what it was. But Romans 11 and verse 29, Paul is writing, if you'll find that verse, he says, the gifts, plural, more than one, and the call of God are without repentance. Two things this verse says, that God gives and never chooses a mind about. He gives giftings to individuals, and he gives callings to individuals. A calling 
is an interesting thing. People ask me, what is a calling? So let me define it for you in a very simple and uh, clear way. The call of God is an invitation from God to you to work for him, to accomplish a certain thing at this time in the earth. Now, I know that's kind of like a long definition, but let me say it again. The call of God is an invitation from God to say, will you work for me while you're alive in this earth and do something I need done? It has to be done my way, my time, and in my personality. I'll say it that way. That's what a calling is. It is when Jesus knocks on the door of your heart and says, I'm looking for someone to address this issue in society or to strengthen this truth in my body or to resolve an issue or to birth something new or to assist somebody in what I've asked him to do. And he forms a team by putting called ones together that are called to that. Now, a calling is something that is sacred. It is something that you really don't choose because you're bored today. God comes to you. There was a man in British history named George Fox. Ever heard of him? He was a he was the founder of what they call the Friends Society, or more commonly known as the Quakers. Back when they quaked, now they don't quake at all. They hardly are born again. I'm sure some of them are born again by accident. But um, they're more on the, the liberal intellectual side of the spectrum of faith, and I wonder if they have much faith. They have bigger thoughts than they do faith. But when George Fox was alive, he was um, challenging the Christian establishment of Great Britain on several points. And one of his points that he challenged the Christian establishment here in Great Britain was how do you become a minister? Because at that point in time in British Christian history, folks were choosing to be a minister like you would choose to be a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman of some kind. So because you like to be on stage, you were a good talker, and uh, you liked theatrics. So since you couldn't make it in the West End, you became a preacher. In America, we would say you couldn't make it in Hollywood, so you begin to build a big church to be your own star on your own show every Sunday morning. And it is said that in some corridors of our countries, that's happening again. That ministering is an elective that a person considers when they are heading for a career choice. And the call of God or ministering to work for God does not come by you choosing it. It comes by God asking you. You should write that down. So all the people that chose ministering out of their own thinking, calculations, and thought it'd be a a good thing, they're really not a preacher. They are those who just showed up and trying to do some nice good works and use the name of Jesus 
when convenient. In the meantime, they're the star of their show. And that's called disgusting. Good morning, everybody. You're awful quiet. Are you awake or sleeping? Are you sure? I don't know about that. And so I want to go down this road of thought to help lay a foundation again for those that God has come to and ask you, will you do something for me? When God asks you to work for him, that means he becomes your boss. You should write that down. Uh, it's not the government. It's not the bishop. It's Jehovah. Amen? God is your boss. God is the one that you ultimately answer to. He is the one that must supply the power, the blessing, the favor, and the doors by which you're to do your work. The call of God is sacred. And George Fox would get up on a Sunday morning and head to a British parish church. And he'd wait for the music to be over. And the preacher would start to preach and he'd be sitting somewhere in the congregation and he would stand up in the middle of the opening remarks of that preacher and accuse him of not being a man of God on a Sunday morning in a British church and start, I wouldn't say heckling, but challenging him to repent and to get right. Well, of course, the pastor was in shock. The religious dead people were having a heart attack again for the second time. How dare someone come into the church and disturb our religious quiet dead spirit and make us think and feel and question. And so they would pick him up and throw him out and sometimes punch him, these nice Christians, would pit him and punch him and sometimes put him in jail and he would get up from the ground and dust himself off and sometimes he would go right back into that church and do it again. So they had more life in that church on that day than they did in the whole year. And he was challenging the status quo of how people became a minister. A ministry is not a human election. It is God's invitation to a person. It is an invitation that God may give a man or a woman, a single person or a married or widowed person, a rich person, a poor person, any ethnic background, any type of life that you may have lived before. He does not always consider it in his invitation, because he forgives and forgets your sin. He doesn't remember it. If you accept the call of God, there are certain things a person must acknowledge. Number one, if the invitation comes to you and you say yes, there are some things about your life that you will lay down forever and never get it back again. We used to call that carrying your cross, counting the cost. 
paying the price. In the day that we live where we don't want to talk about cost, price, or endurance, we want everything McDonald's style, instant, and fast, and perfect. Everybody wants a happy meal. Well, sometimes happiness comes because you won the endurance battle. If you accept the call of God, you are accepting that there are some things that your friends get to do that you may not get to do because of what you've accepted and the cost to do it, get it done for Christ. Now, it's not a sin thing that I'm talking about. We as Christians remove the sin factor and choose to live a holy factor. So what you're giving up is what I would call a human right. What is rightfully yours, being born in this earth as a human being, that when you accept the call of God, you're going to give something up, and it varies differently per person. It's not all the same. What one person must give up to fulfill the call of God that it came to them, another person will get to enjoy. Interesting, huh? Well, that's not fair. Life's not fair. Grow up. There are some things that God asks a person to do, and for them to do it the way he needs it done, certain aspects of the life have to be given up for a lifetime. Where another person's call may not demand that type of sacrifice or giving up. And so we can't copy everybody's cross. Everybody's cross differs from another one. And when you pay this price, you don't go around going, look what I can't do. Don't you feel sorry for me? I've heard preachers preach. I accepted the call of God, and so I can't do this, I can't do that. And by the time they get done, you feel sorry for them. That's called, so my grandma would say, you need a good old-fashioned switching. You know what a switching is? It's called a spanking. In the southern part of America, you go outside and you get a little switch off a tree, and, shoo, and you take care of the little rebellious childs by letting their little butt and their legs get, shoo, and they become real holy for the next six weeks. And grandma would say, sometimes some of these preachers need a good old-fashioned switching. And I still think she's true. That sometimes you walk around going, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, shut up. When you give something up for the call of God, it's like going on the fast. The government of a fast, we find in Scripture, is you anoint your face, you comb your hair, you take a shower, and you look like everything is good and you're not hungry. And you go forward. And no one knows what you're doing. The same thing is true with the call of God. That whatever the price may be that is a part of your existence, you don't walk around going, oh, feel sorry for me. And pulling people into sympathy over what you have consciously agreed to commit to and do. You anoint your face, you comb your hair, you put a smile on, you get joy about you, and you go do it. 
Can you say amen? amen? That is a part of the way we carry the price of the call of God. The call of God in every one of them will have a price to it. It will vary. The second part of a call is that there are some things that your friends get to do a lot that you only get to do a little bit. You don't get to do it as much as your friends, fellow ministers, other people do. But you get to do it once in a while. So when you get that once in a while, you should do it real big and real happy. And don't have any dud people around you when you do it. Good morning, everybody. So the second price is that there's some things that you look at your family, your brother, your sister, their marriage, your children, their life, and they do these type of trips or whatever it might be that you admire and go, wow, they do that a lot. And you only get to do it maybe half as much or a fourth as much. And you can't go around going, oh, that's called be quiet. So when you do get to do it, do it big. Do it loud. Do it with gusto. Have fun. And don't let no one take your joy out of it. In the balcony, everybody say amen. amen. So modern times, people today with the call of God, they don't want the call of God because all they hear is, woe is me. And oh, is me. And I, and I would say, oh, shut up. Because we're losing those ones that God has knocked on their heart and asked them, will you work with me? Will you help me get this done in the earth to bless humanity, to build my kingdom on the earth at this time? Some people think the call of God is a negotiation. Uh, the negotiation is like this. Yes, no. Some think, well, I'll obey the Lord's calling after I'm married. Hmm. Did Jehovah say that to you? No, I, I'm thinking that because it doesn't fit that nice in my five-year plan it, 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 because I got to do this first. Hmm. Negotiations. Well, I'll obey that part of my call uh, after my babies are through university. Uh, did Jehovah say that? No, but that's the way British people live. You do it like this. And this is the way we all plan our lives and the way we do our families and, and da, da 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 I will obey the call that you want me to as long as I don't have to go to Cuba, Siberia, or the deep jungles of Africa, whatever it is. It's amazing how we are not humbled by God's presence and invitation, how we think we can almost be on an equal scale to say, let's negotiate. I'll give you five years of single life, then I want eight years of married life without you bugging me, and then I'll come back with my kids. And you start negotiating a life plan, and God goes, goodbye. I'll find somebody else. Now, this brings me to this point. When I grew up in the Pentecostal church that I grew up in, 
when they talked about the call of God, I had a lot of unsaid thoughts that came to me by the way things that were said. Now, they weren't scriptural, but you know, sometimes people believe more of what's not said than what is said in a sermon. There's two sermons being preached right now. The one you hear and the one you're thinking I'm saying or what I'm not saying yet. And that one's preached in your head about what about this and what about that or I'm not addressing that, I'm addressing this, so come back over here. Bring your mind back here. And look at me in my little blue suit and listen. So let me answer three or four of those thoughts. You can receive a call from God and say no and still be saved. A person, salvation, has nothing to do with their acceptance or rejection of the call of God. So if you've been in a church and they have made extreme statements that made you feel because you've said no to God about the calling, that your salvation is in jeopardy, it is not. Salvation is maintained and guaranteed by faith in Christ Jesus and faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, and that guarantees your new birth, your salvation, it is guaranteed, period. It has nothing to do with any other aspect of your spiritual life. Amen? So if you're here today or you're watching me and you felt like because you said no to that invitation that your salvation is cheaper or you're a second class, you're not second class. When you're born again, you're still the apple of God's eye. You're still precious in his sight. He still loves you with all of his might. And God came to you and asked you something, and for whatever reason, you said no. Your salvation did not change. His love for you as a child did not change. It did not change at all. If you say no to the call of God, the Holy Spirit baptism is still yours. With the evidence of speaking in tongues and the nine gifts will still flow through you because it comes as a part of being a member of God's family. So you do not lose the empowerment of the Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit. The nine gifts will still flow through your life to help you get victory, even if you say no to the call of God. If you say no to the call of God, every biblical promise is still yours by faith because you're a part of God's family. So saying no to the call does not take any biblical promise that he made to us. For those of us that are born again, they're ours by faith. You can have them. If you say no to the call of God, it does not give demons better access to you. Should write that one down. Because I'll guarantee you some of you heard that one. Well, if you say no, ooh, ooh, back at you. Not true. 
If a person says no to the call of God, it does not open a secret door or God's protective hand lives a little bit higher off of you, which gives more access for demon activity because he's mad at you. Not true. Divine protection, God's blessing belongs to you because you're his child. But what does happen if a person says no and it's your right to say no? You'll have a question that'll live within your being that when you will be at your quiet time or reflective moments of your life, there'll come this question. What would have happened if I would have said yes? What could have been if I would have said yes to the invitation of God at that time in my life? Where would I have been? What could I have done? What could I have experienced? How could I have helped mankind and the body of Christ? Now, I know sitting here this morning, that doesn't sound like a big deal since I went through the list of all the things that would manipulate people into obeying God because they didn't want to lose their salvation or the Holy Ghost will leave them or promises aren't theirs or demons get bigger at them. I grew up with not that being said, but that being insinuated by no one being as blunt and clear as I am this morning over this. I felt, growing up as a little boy and a teenager at times, that if I'd have said no, bigger demons would have bit me. Or I'd have had become a second-class citizen in the spiritual world or in God's family. And I like being first-class. How about you? But I'm glad we're all first-class. So I grew up with that understanding that was inaccurate. I grew up with that inward thought, inward voice that was saying these things to me. And a lot of people have accepted the call of God out of frustration or not wanting to go through this list of losing in some way. So I want to clear it out that the call of God has nothing to do with your salvation in the sense that if you say no, you don't lose or cheapen your salvation. If you say no, the Holy Spirit will still lead, guide you, and flow through you as he would before. Every promise is yours. Demons don't get more access to you. But you will live, hear me, with the question, what if? What if I would have said no at 8 and 12 when the Lord spoke to me? What if I would have said basketball was more important to me than reading big books with no pictures in them? Because as a little boy, I like pictures. and As an adult, I still do. That's why all my books have pictures. Because I've read all those thousands of books about dead preachers with no pictures in them. I thought, bad publisher. Because everybody wants to see who you're talking about. But what if I would have said no? Then I wouldn't have been the general's guy. I wouldn't have been able to come to KT and been principal for a while and come back and look at you on a Sunday morning and wonder if you were alive. 
If I'd have said no, I'd have been stuck in Oklahoma for the rest of my life farming. God help us. I'd have followed my family tradition of being farmers with chickens and cows, and thank God the only cow I like is called a steak. I don't want to feed them, wash them, or clothe them, or anything with them. I just, mm. But if I'd have said no, my life would have been different. If I'd have said yes with a hesitant because I had to, then the joy that I experience in my life with what I do would have been smaller. I actually like what I do. I'm actually a preacher that likes people. It's a rare person out here. I actually like British people too. I really like KT people. That's why I came early so I can hug and kiss everybody. I've been kissed four or five times and I had to get the lipstick wiped over my face. Love every minute of it, so please hug me. I love it. I actually like it. I actually like everything about my life except for having my bag store that happened yesterday with my passport. Can you believe that? 115 countries, I've never lost anything until yesterday. Some thief is having an early Christmas. My computer, my nice little phone from America is stuck. Yeah. And my passport is somewhere in the world. I might have to stay. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Colin, can I stay? But you know, I like what I do. I like what I do. But some people have accepted the call of God out of, I have to. And so every little thing that goes wrong, like their bag being sold, becomes a huge deal. Or a church member gets mad or leave, or somebody talks bad about them and their whole life falls apart. That's because they're not quite into it. They're not sold on it. They're not given over to it in a total passionate way because they had to do it because they had no other choice. So I'm trying to alleviate all the unnecessary pressures and religious manipulations that when God comes to a person and says to you, I need someone to do this for me. Would you be willing to work for me in this way at this time in the earth to get this done? That you don't lose your salvation. You don't cheapen the Holy Spirit. Every promise is yours. Demons don't get more access to you if you say no. If you do say no, you will live with a question that can be one of those questions that has a, I'm going to use this word, I hope you take it right, a little bit of a haunting consideration. What could have been if I'd have said yes? Could I have helped England? Could I have helped the body to be brighter and stronger and bolder in a way. You'll live with that question. The frustrating thing is some people have entered the ministry out of a have to, not a get to. So the call of God is a great moment when God knocks on the door of your heart and he asks you, will you work for me in this way? Now, the call of God does not always mean you're Billy Graham Jr. Sometimes people have views of grandeur about the call because of 
things you've seen or been around. You see some of the ministers that are internationally known. When you get close to them, they're just like you. They like food like you do. They got to care for themselves and their families like you do. They have to believe God like you do, except for they're a little more famous about it because they're on stage a lot and they're on front of cameras. And so their, their name and their ministry is larger and, and a little bit louder. But in the kingdom of God, however God needed you and places you, you get the same reward as every famous person if you do what you're supposed to do. Because the kingdom of God must get rid of the secular or the Babylonian mindset of I must be woo to be important. In the kingdom of God, importance is found when you do that which you've been asked of God to do with a good heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength, and happy to do it. Whatever it may be. So there are hundreds of ushers, if not thousands of them, who are going to receive a reward like unto a Billy Graham because God asked them, to work at KT in the summertime when it's hot as hell in here and be happy about it. And been here for some of you for years. And because that's what he needed you to do. Or did children's ministry or whatever it might be. And no one may know your name like a Billy Graham or a Catherine Kuhlman. But God knows it. God knows exactly what he asked you to do and sees you when nobody else applauds you. Knows what you're doing when your insides are tired. And sometimes your soul is hurt or wounded or frustrated, but you stay faithful to God and his natural position. He knows that. And when you finish your course, some may be a season, some may be a lifetime commitment to things. When you stand before God on that great day of reward and judgment, you'll be glad you said yes and you stayed faithful. Good morning, everybody. The call of God is something sacred. It is a sacred covenant between an individual and Jehovah. Not everybody may understand your commitment to certain things. That's why they'll ask the question to an associate pastor. When are you going to get your own church? In 115 countries, I've watched this and I've asked myself a question. There are some good people pastoring smaller churches for long periods of time. Now, I'm not saying every church has to be the size of KT, but every church is going to grow. And when it stays a certain size over a long period of time, there's something wrong with that picture. Because it may start as a seed form, but it grows into a great tree. And I've looked at them, preached for some of these wonderful people, and I go back to my room or I'll consider my friendship with them later in some other thought pattern. And I thought, why is that wonderful couple that is so beautiful and loves Jesus and they give themselves in such a beautiful way, why is it that their, their work that they're building doesn't seem to ever get a breakthrough? Now, I know there's principalities and powers. 
I know there's cultural things you've got to learn how to, to do to, to, to communicate and to uh, relate to the culture that you're in. I understand all that, but even at the end of the day, sometimes you still go, hmm. And here is an answer. It's not the only answer, but it is an answer that sometimes is not spoken. They're in the wrong spot. Some of these individuals were talked out of where God placed them as a long season or a lifetime calling. And because they weren't the top person, they felt there had to come a day when, I've got to have my own. Well, you got it. How is it? And you wonder, why isn't it working? And why is these sufferings going on? Some things happen like that because their high calling, what God's original calling was for them, was to stand alongside, to serve in a way that God understands everybody's equality in his work world. But the non-Christian and the carnal Christian sees, well, you've been a associate or a youth pastor or a music leader for how long? When are you going to get your own CD album? When are you going to get your own whatever? And it moves them from where God asked them to be originally. And God can only bless them according to their obedience and their disobedience or their misstep, maybe is a better way to say it, hinders the great flow of blessing and lift and encouragement to them. So I would ask them to consider their ways and review how the call came to them. What was it that God said? Now, yes, I understand it can be added to. But I'm convinced that there are many people in ministry who are going through unnecessary trials and tribulations because they allowed a business secular mindset to say, you got to have your own, or what we may call in spiritual terms, a Babylonian mindset of me, myself, and I, and moves them out. I built a church of 2,000 in California, and I knew from its fifth year, who my successor was. It was my associate that came to my Bible college the first year open and helped me build it all. The Lord said, you will not spend the rest of your life with this church. You will spend the first half of your life on the West Coast, and you will base the last half of your life in America on the East Coast. And when you are done here, it is to be his. I knew it, the fifth year into it. I spoke to him three years before transition. He didn't want it. He moved to another state and pastors less than 100 people. He blesses those 100 people. God honors what he can, but what he could have been, what he could have done, what God had planned was not because he was pulled out for something that wasn't in God's orchestration. Good morning, everybody. It saddened me, but it didn't stop my plan. That's where I realized God's God. 
I can only do what I can do. God does the rest. But today, I'm speaking to you for you to find where God wants you to be and be there and obey. And if nobody else gets why you're faithful to that post, that position, that type of ministry, at least you do. People say, well, I don't understand your calling. That's because it's not yours. I mean, that sometimes is the appropriate answer to some of those questions. I don't get it. You're not supposed to get it. It's not yours. Go get yours. Go figure yours out. Brother Roberts, I don't understand your ministry. Don't have to. It's my job. Get blessed by to run. But sometimes we try to figure everything out and learn. I learned it's not my calling. My calling is this. I accepted the invitation of God to do what I do in the earth at this time. And that's my job. I enjoy everybody else. I learn from them in ways, inspired by them by ways. But at the end of the day, if all my friends go south, I'm still going north. I'm not going down, I'm going up. My job in my heart that I desired that when I get an old man, which is a long time from now, when I become an old man and get ready to die, I die with a bunch of young crazy people. They're still screaming and yelling and jumping and irritating people. I don't want to be among the professional dead. I want the wild and woolly people where there's life. See, my problem is I'm not scared of wildfire. I'm scared of no fire. That's what I'm scared. If you ask me, do I have a fear? I have a fear in my life that I end up in ministry someplace where there's no fire. Wildfire don't scare me. If it Kind of goes a little bit woo over there. That's okay. At least they're trying. I can help them. I can love them. I can teach them. I can jump in there with them and turn the boat. It's where there's no fire is the problem. I'm not scared of the gifts out of order a little bit. What I'm scared of is no gifts flowing amongst God's people. I'm not scared of prosperity preaching. Even if it goes a little bit mm, oh. I'm scared of when nobody's being blessed. Sometimes we try to achieve balance at the sake of murdering the life force of faith in the hearts of our people. To save a reputation that you shouldn't be worrying about anyway. And I've got to close. I hate that clock. I need a Joshua anointing that stops the sun and the moon. You have to come back tonight where I can finish this. Are you enjoying my message this morning? Yes. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you before I give it back to Pastor Bruce or I think it's Dudley or whoever, whoever is on that secret row over there. I love you people. It's so good to see you again. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I came this morning to talk about the invitation that you've given of people. And sometimes we have responded to it in, in, in youthful zeal or sometimes uh, in an arrogant way of trying to negotiate something. We say we're sorry when we were arrogant. But we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon each person this morning and refresh that invitation in their heart and their mind.
dust off all of the dust, the pains, the wounds that may have caused a differentiation in how they've chosen to fulfill or they're walking away from it. Holy Spirit, speak to the heart of every person and let them know that you love them. You still need them. You're not against them. And that whatever time they've lost, you have the power to redeem times and seasons. And I ask you to restore inside of every person here hope and faith and the thrill of being asked by God to do something in his earthly kingdom that affects the world and this time. I command the powers of the devil that have come to hinder you and to hurt you and to imprison you in the name of Jesus. I break that voice. I stop that attack. I bring deliverance to you through the name and the blood of Christ Jesus. Be free and be healed and be restored and let new faith and new vision come. And I bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Give God a good clap offering. Amen.